Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Everyone is somebody's spouse. Everyone is somebody's spouse. So if I'm 20 years or 25 or single or whatever, and I'm taking a lady out on a date, how do I treat her? Well, hopefully in the way that if she's not my wife, that the person who is my wife is being treated tonight by a guy who's taking her out on a date. And that for me answers the question around how far is too far. Well, how far would you want somebody to go with your wife right now, tonight? Well, that gives you a really good boundary for tonight with somebody else's wife when you're going out with her tonight. Everybody is somebody's spouse. So those would be the sort of the starting blocks that I always start from when we're thinking and talking about relationships. This morning I'm wanting us to look specifically at marriage. What is marriage? Why marriage? And perhaps a good question to ask is, what is the purpose of marriage? I loved when I stumbled upon this. It's one of those sayings that kind of I found and one day praying about marriage and it really helped me. And since then I've read a lot of, I, never, I don't think I read, read it ever before, but since then I've suddenly realized that a whole bunch of people have actually used exactly this phrase very often. Born from Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Can I just pause there? It's one thing if God came to me and said, Philip, love your wife, Yaneta. I'd say, okay, I can do that. I can try that. But then, just as he has said that, he takes it into the realm of the impossible. And he says, I don't just want you to love your wife. In the same way that Jesus came and he said, I want you to love each other. We could have tried that. He says to us in a new commandment I give you, to all of us, that you love one another. And then he says, as I have loved you. And immediately he makes it impossible. Here he does exactly the same. I want you to love your wife in the way that I have loved the church. And immediately as a husband, I step back and I say, God, that is impossible. Outside of the grace that you pour into me and over my life. There's no ways out of my own strength that I can love my life, my wife in the way that Christ has loved the church. And yet that's the standard that he holds before us. And immediately it puts it into the realm of impossibility, which for me as a believer puts it into the realm of grace. The realm of I cannot do this, God. But yet, God, you can if I allow you to breathe over my heart and over who I am. Jesus gave up his life for her, for his church. That's what you and for those of us who are husbands must do. And here is the purpose, I believe, of marriage. To make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word. I believe this applies for wives towards husbands and husbands towards wives because he carries on. He did this to present her to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Something in my relationship with my wife changed when I realized that the purpose of our marriage was not merely my happiness, but my holiness. That the marriage that I have is a gift from God, not only to make me happy. There are moments of happiness, but there are moments of profound unhappiness in marriage. Some of you, it's a shock to hear that. There are moments where 
you look at your spouse and you're like, I could have married and I should have married anybody but you. <laughs> but it's right exactly in that moment where we allow the Spirit of God to begin to work holiness inside of our hearts. Where I begin to realize that my wife has been designed by God with a specific purpose. And one of her primary purposes in, on earth is the same as one of my primary purposes on earth, and that is to help her, and her role is to help me grow towards holiness. And so amazing how since we've embraced this, as I've embraced this in my heart, I relate to my wife differently. You see, I don't see her as a source of my happiness because that's a burden that she could never carry. My wife cannot make me happy. That can sound really bad when you take it as a sound bit by itself and put it on the internet. But my wife, no human being has the power over any of us to completely fulfill us and to make us happy. And when we place that burden on someone, we place that expectation on someone, we strangle them. We put them, we put a chain upon them that there is no way that they can carry it. When we come to Christ, we find our joy and our peace in Him. When we find in that sense our fulfillment from Him and we take that burden off of our spouse. Some of us want to get into marriages because we think, if I get married, I will be happy. You will not be happy when you get married. Some of us are thinking, if I can just be unmarried again, I'll be happy. <laughs> that's not going to solve your problem. That's, such a, that's a far deeper root issue within our hearts that no other human being in any form of relationship can solve for you. But we can come to our spouse and we can understand that those very things that freak me out about you, the stuff that you do that irritates me, that burns me, that makes me want to, you know, I was thinking this morning, you know, they call this thing at Floyd, not Floyd, the other one, Connor McGregor's part of his ultimate fight club. I think that's a good name for a marriage seminar. UFC, Ultimate Fight Club. That is the ultimate place for us to have our fights. Because it's in those moments where we realize how much we need to grow in holiness. How much we need to grow in our capacity and our ability to love. I want to encourage those of you who are married here that... You are going to have issues and challenges in your marriage. Some of you have been a lot long, married probably longer than I have, and you've realized you've had some issues and challenges in your marriage. Some of you are just starting off on the road to marriage. Some of you will be married. I want to give you a sure promise you are going to have challenges and issues in your marriage. And you can approach those in two ways. You can say, my wife is making me unhappy. My husband is making me unhappy. I am leaving. Or you can say, but wait a minute, their primary role is not to make me happy or unhappy. Their primary role is that God wants to use them to grow holiness inside of me. So me running away is not going to help me to grow in holiness. The only way that I'm going to grow in holiness is to engage and to work through. And let's be honest, sometimes our spouses are difficult. Sometimes I'm a difficult person. Sometimes my wife is a difficult person. You see, her growing in holiness when she is difficult is her learning how to be less difficult. My growing in holiness when she is difficult is me growing in love towards her even when she is difficult.
and vice versa. It goes both ways for both of us in our marriages. You're going to have challenges in your marriage. I want to put a massive challenge out for you there, an invitation even more. Some of your challenges in your marriage you're going to be able to work out just between you and your spouse, but you know what? A whole bunch you won't be able to, and that's okay. It's okay as long as you, early on in your marriage, make a decision. We're going to talk to people. We're going to share with people. We're going to invite with people. It's amazing for me the marriage counseling we do. As I mentioned earlier, normally we do when it's sort of an intensive marriage counseling type thing. It's because people have come to the end and they're about to get divorced and they say, well, let's just give it one more chance and let's talk about it now. And I want to say, you guys have been married for 15 years. On honeymoon, you picked up this problem. Why are you only speaking to someone about this now? Why didn't you invite 15 years ago someone in to come and help you figure this out? Because it's obviously this wasn't something that the two of you could figure out alone. The answer is so simple. It's because there's a shame upon our marriage. We think that we need to have all of the answers by ourselves. I want to break that power a little bit of shame over you if you're not married yet. Go into a marriage understanding you're not going to be able to figure it all out yourself. And you don't have to. Invite someone in. Go knock on someone who you love's door. Someone who loves you. Someone who is married and has a healthy track record and say, Listen, don't you guys want to come over for dinner? My wife and I, we're having a fight and we need someone just to help us. We need someone to help us figure out what is the right way to tackle this. We don't want you to give us the answer, but we just realize we're not going to find the answer by ourselves. Can we get some help in? It's such a healthy practice. And you know what? The vast majority of people that we see for marriage counseling, if they'd done that at the start, wouldn't have gone through, for many of them, the hell on earth that their marriages have become. If they just at the beginning just been willing to say, hey, let's talk. My wife and I did that. We went for a period for about, we realized that there was some stuff in our marriage that if we didn't give attention to, would become a massive problem. It wasn't sort of always a massive problem, but it was little things that would flare up. And we said, hey, let's go find a good marriage counselor. For six months, once a week, we went and we sat with, country went about six months, we sat with a good marriage counselor and they helped us just to talk through some stuff. Helped us to understand each other, places where we'd been missing each other, to find one another. Communication is one of the biggest challenges in marriage because what often and 95% of marriage issues are miscommunication. Saying one thing, hearing something else. Connotations, experiences, all of those things that get loaded up into every conversation. And very few conversations are this conversation. It's normally this conversation in the light of all of the other conversations we've had. And my wife's hearing those conversations we had. I'm hearing these conversations we had. And when we come together and we actually have the conversation, we're on different pages totally. That's where we were at. And we had someone come and help us just to work through that. doesn't mean we don't have issues anymore. It just means when they come up, we deal with them better because we've learned to hear each other better. There's something so powerful about just putting the shame out of our pockets and not hiding from our challenges embracing them and saying, but hey God, these are ways in which we can grow in holiness. For those of you that are married, I've got three questions for you to think about. We can't really answer them because this is all just still by introduction. But three questions I want to encourage you to go and think about before I get to what I really want to say this morning. 
How has your marriage partner, since he's been married, grown in holiness? How have they grown? Have you told them that? Have you acknowledged the fact that you've seen they grow? Have you affirmed them for the fact that they've been growing in the image and representation of Christ? And you've seen it because you know as a marriage partner, you have a unique view into their life and you're going to see things that no one else can. And we're so quick to zoom into the things we see that no one else can that are bad (laughs) and to speak about them. But how often do we zoom in on the things that no one else is seeing and encourage and affirm? So I'm so thankful that you've grown in this. I just want to thank you. I want to honor you for the way that you've tackled that challenge and you've grown and you've grown in holiness. How is your marriage partner grown? What are the areas your marriage partner helps you to realize you still need to grow in holiness? What are the buttons that your marriage partner presses on you? Not because they're wrong, but because they're pressing buttons in your life for whatever reason. What does that say about your holiness and your representation of Christ and your being set apart for his purpose? And then is there something in your marriage you'd like to speak to someone about? Is there something in your marriage you'd like to speak to someone about? Do you know if there is, speak to someone about it. Don't put it off. Embrace it and say, hey, you know, it's like if you go to your car, silly example. You can say, hey, I've got a flat tire. Well, that, there's a slow puncture and... It's a little bit flatter than it was, and I can keep on driving. I could probably still keep on driving like this for a bit. But probably at the time that it's most convenient, I'm going to realize now I've got a problem. See, I can carry on. I can get on the highway. I can try. and Maybe, maybe I'll make it to Pretoria. Maybe I won't. I don't quite know. But it's not a risk I need to take. I can take five minutes at the beginning, and let me just fix, change the tire. Get it fixed. Stop the slow leak. And then I can get on the highway and not have to worry about this tire that might explode at any time. And we can tackle our marriages in exactly the same way. A couple of years ago, Andy Stanley, some of you know and have heard about him a lot. I really enjoy him. He has a way of of phrasing things. He tweeted this. Biblically marriage. For example, there is dot, dot, dot. I love this. I know you guys love the word. With Henny as your pastor, you can't not love the word. I love Henny's passion for the word, and I love how he loves studying and so knowledgeable about the word. I love applying the word. And I love a question like this because, you know, right now your brain is going crazy, hopefully. And you are thinking, if I think just purely of Scripture, what reference for marriage do I have? And we'll find we know of people who were married in Scripture, but we don't know how they spoke to each other. We don't know who washed the dishes. We don't know if they went to bed at the same time or not. We don't know anything about what the marriage looked like. As a matter of fact, if you go back right to the beginning when we asked a simple question, what is the biblical marriage? And you guys had a conversation around that. I want to dare say, perhaps not in your conversation, but in Christian conversation as a whole, 
The vast part of that conversation, what is a biblical marriage, is not defined by Scripture. It is defined perhaps by some really good at books and maybe some really good advice. We base our biblical marriage idea on the books we've read. Or for many of us, if we're totally honest, Hollywood, what we've seen on TV. For some of us, our experience, the marriages our parents had. But the reality is, apart from the fact that God is into marriage, Scripture actually has very little to say about marriage. But there are a few things that we do know. What are the things that we do know about marriage? Well, the first one, well, these are just a handful. What do we do know? Marriage, we've already said this, was initiated by God. That's the covenantal union between a man and a woman was as we read in Genesis 2, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Matthew 19, it quotes and it says, For this reason a man shall leave father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. What else do we know about marriage? Hebrews 13 says, Marriage is honorable among, among all and the bed undefiled. Marriage is honorable. It is something to be esteemed. It's something to be cherished. It's something to be looked up at. It's not something to be ridiculed. Just saw this morning, I've got a, a friend in Australia. Some of you may have seen that Australia has got a referendum. They call it a plebiscite, whatever that word is. I think it's a plebiscite. Like a referendum type thing where the Australian people are going to vote around some, I don't know exactly the details, but something around redefining or defining what should marriage be. Is marriage between a man and a woman, a natural man and a natural woman? They've got a big, big debate in Australia around that and a national vote coming up around that. New Zealand had a similar thing a while ago. New Zealand have already redefined marriage. New Zealand have just sent out a message to some of the marriage charities saying that they're going to be deregistered as charities because their view of marriage is outdated and can no longer be tolerated in the modern society. And they can no longer function as charities. Marriage should be honored. We're in a world today that wants to break down the institution of marriage. Whether we're married or unmarried, whether we have a desire to be married or not, we should honor marriage because Scripture said we should. What else do we know? Well, we know marriage has order. The husband is the head of the wife. That doesn't mean the husband is the boss of the wife. That doesn't mean the husband decides and the woman just does. It's not at all what the Scripture is about. As also Christ is the head of the church and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Can I just say very clearly there, Scripture does not expect women to submit to men. I haven't seen that in Scripture anyway. I have seen that Scripture requires wives to submit to a single man, their husband, within a specific marital relationship. It's not a general everywhere all over that is so misquoted and mis misunderstanding and misunderstood part of Scripture. But marriage has order. What else do we know about Scripture, about marriage? Marriage is temporal. Can I say that again? Marriage is temporal. Matthew 22 
The same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and they asked him, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection... Whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. doesn't mean we become angels. It just means we don't get married. Marriage is temporal. Can I just, it's so important, just as much as marriage should be honored, marriage should be esteemed. Marriage is not salvation. Marriage is for a period. Marriage is for a very short period in your eternal existence. I hope and pray it will be an incredibly best, blessed period in your eternal existence, but it's a short moment. Be careful of idolizing and making an idol out of your marriage. I love what Francis Chan says. I want to encourage you if you haven't yet. He wrote a fantastic book. There's a whole DVD series around it as well. It's called You and Me Forever. Marriage in the Light of Eternity. And right sort of in the introduction to that, he has this, one of the first couple of chapters, he speaks about him and his wife. Perhaps the story of the book, he says it in the introduction. He and his wife came together and it was their 20th wedding anniversary or whatever. And they decide what are they going to do for this wedding anniversary? They came together and they thought, well, what are, the, what are the best times we have had since we were married? They realized the best times they had had since they were married were the times where they pursued the kingdom of God together. So for their 20th wedding anniversary, they got in an airplane and came to some orphanage in Malawi or whatever and came and served as missionaries for a month or something. And that was their 20th wedding anniversary because they realized that's the time when God breathed on them the most and when they felt the closest. And out of that, they wrote this book. And watch what they say here. A strange thing happened when Lisa, that's his wife, and I started living with an eternal lens. It caused us to enjoy the here and now. Many people will tell you to focus on your marriage, to focus on each other. But we discovered that focusing on God's mission made our marriage amazing. This caused us to experience Jesus deeply. What could be better? Eternal mindedness keeps us from silly arguments. There's no time to fight. We have better things to pursue than our interests. Too much is at stake. God created us for a purpose. We can't afford to waste our lives. We can't afford to waste our marriage. I love the sentence. We can't afford to waste our marriage by merely pursuing our own happiness. Isn't that a powerful statement? It's so important that we need to understand from Scripture that marriage is temporal. Your spouse is not an eternal companion. It's hard to think of, but it's scriptural. The fifth one that we do know from Scripture is that marriage is a reflection of the eternal. Ephesians 5, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Marriage is a reflection of the eternal. The whole of Ephesians 5 
Paul's writing there about Jesus and the church, and then he's talking about husbands and wives. And at the end he says, I'm talking about husband and wives, but actually what I'm talking about is Christ and the church. I always say to couples when they get married, they walk out of there now married with the incredible privilege to show a broken world how much Christ loves his church. That's what marriage is about. It's a reflection. It's a picture. It's an image of the what will be. So this for me has a, a couple of important applications. You see, apart from that, there's very little else that Scripture says around marriage. What we've covered here is the largest volume of what Scripture has to say explicitly around marriage. So they literally... Hundred, literally hundreds of books on a healthy Christian marriage, but there are very, very few clear scripture and verse passages that relate directly to marriage. In other words, there is very little about our view of the marriage relationship that we can or should hold on to as doctrine. That's got a couple of important implications that I want us to think about here. Yes, there may be great books. Speak to people. Get advice. It's great advice. I've got this little mantra in the back of my mind. Every conversation I'm going into, the Holy Spirit's really faithful in making me think about this more and more. And I wanted to say to myself, less opinion, more doctrine. Less opinion, more scripture. Less opinion, I think, I want. Just God, what do you have to say about this thing? And if I don't know what God has to say about it, then great have an opinion, but maybe I shouldn't be so attached to my opinion. But when we come into marriage, you see, if Scripture says so little, Scripture and verse around marriage, for me there are at least three really, really important implications that I'd love for you guys to take home. And I believe, just as an aside, there's a reason why there's not so much Scripture and verse, because, you see, Firstly, Scripture was never meant to be read outside of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Scripture was never meant to be read outside of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It was never meant to be given to us as a rule book. We had Leviticus and the Ten Commandments for that. And even there, the point wasn't there are just empty rules that you need to follow. There's a relationship with the Holy Spirit that we need to have. And allow the Holy Spirit to breathe to us, over us, and speak to us, and give clarity and direction to us. So much more I could say about that, but for time's sake, three important implications that I'd love for you guys to think about in this week. The first one is, if Scripture says so little directly around marriage, is I cannot expect my neighbor's marriage to look or work like mine. Similarly, my marriage doesn't have to look or work like my neighbor's. That might sound like a nice bit of theory, but it's amazing how when you sit around married couples, how quick we are to say, you're doing marriage wrong or you're doing this wrong. We judge the people in our friendship circles on their marriage, the way they're raising the kids, the way they talk to each other, because it's not the way that we do it. The only problem is our way isn't necessarily the scripturally mandated way, which makes that our way isn't necessarily the right way and their way, the wrong way. I believe our marriages, Christian marriages, Christian community would flourish so much more if we would extend grace to the people around us to do things differently. If we understand that my way of doing things is not the only scriptural way of doing it. 
Yes, there are scriptural right and wrongs. Do not have sex before get married. Simple. Scripture's clear about that. But once we're in that marriage covenant and we relate in certain ways and we do things in certain ways, let's be hesitant to tell people how they have to do their marriage. If scripture doesn't say they have to do it that way. And similarly, for those of us who are married, some of us need to throw those chains and burdens of we're trying to do marriage in a certain way because our neighbors expect us to do marriage that way. If your neighbor expects you to do it that way, no, good for them. But scripture doesn't necessarily. The only question you need to ask is what does scripture require our marriage to look like? And as long as we are true to that, that gives us a lot of room for a whole bunch of differences. Obviously, under guidance of the Holy Spirit. That was the easy one. The second one gets a little bit harder. Really important implication. I can't expect my spouse to want our marriage to look and work like I wanted to. That's a big one. I can't expect my spouse to want our marriage to look and work like I wanted to. It's amazing how many people we talk to in marriage preparation and or marriage counseling rather when kind of the pawpaws in the fan a little bit. And they're upset because they don't have the same expectation of marriage. They don't have the same desire. They don't have the same hopes. Their marriage picture that both of them have in the back of their minds isn't the same and they're upset with the other one for not having the same picture as they have. And then we've got to kind of break all of this down. But do you realize the picture that you have is not necessarily a wrong picture, but it's also not necessarily the right picture. The picture that you have of marriage is based on your experience, your relationships you've had, your parents, where you were from, all of that. And it might be a great picture, but you can't expect your marriage partner to throw away their stuff and adopt your picture. As a married couple, you need to come together and develop a combined picture. But we can't bring that legalism in. We can't say you have to do it this way unless Scripture says we have to do it this way. And as I try to show us now, there's very little that Scripture says we have to do this way. But my mom always did this. Your mom and your dad did it that way, and it was great for them, but that doesn't make it the right way. I can't expect my spouse to want our marriage to look and work like I wanted to. And then the last one, we have to see our marriage as a living relationship that we need to continually work out between the two of us and the Holy Spirit. We need to continue, because you know the way we did it last week, last month, last year, might not be the way that we want to continue doing it going forward. The worst answer, if, some, if you say, if someone asks you, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in family life, or life, why do you do it this way? The worst answer you can possibly give is because we've always done it that way. It's a common answer, but that's the worst possible answer you can have. Because do you know what that says? It means no one's thought about it, no one's prayed about it, no one's planned about it. We just happen to have gone off in the path of least resistance. Step back and say, we do it this way. Because this is the sin. We thought about it. We prayed about it. We planned to do it. This, this is why do we do it? Because we have a certain goal that we are working towards. You know, if you aim to hit nothing, you'll always reach it. If you as a family don't come down and plan where is it that we're wanting to go as a family, what is the stuff we're wanting to build in, you're never going to build anything into your family. 
We need to invite the Holy Spirit and we need to say, Holy Spirit, we want to remain as honest, as straight to Scripture as we possibly can, but Scripture does not tell me what time I need to wake up in the morning. Scripture does not tell me who must drop the kids off at school. Scripture does not tell me what we must call the kids. God might use Scripture to highlight certain elements, but there isn't a doctrine, there isn't a universal truth for all of us around that. Which means that my wife and I, we need to sit down, we need to invite the Holy Spirit, and we say, Holy Spirit, would you come and direct this marriage, this family, in the way you have prepared? Which means that when we sit in marriage counseling, we can't expect them to do what we do. Because our way isn't necessarily the right way. Yes, there may be biblical truths, there may be some really good advice we can give, but it remains good advice that they need to pray about, go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, is this what you want us to incorporate into our family? I'm going to close with those of us who are married. I want to give you three questions for homework. I don't come here often, so I'm going to give you homework. Otherwise, if it was next week, we could talk about this next week. What strong feelings, thoughts, or opinions do I have on marriage? Most of us can answer that pretty quickly. Are these based purely on Scripture or on some other experience or book? If you are married or you've got, perhaps you're unmarried, but you've got close friends around you, maybe you don't even know what are the things that you feel strongly around marriage about. Ask the people around you and say, what are the things that you think I feel strongly around about marriage? And you're going to say, yes, of course I know because it's right. That's why. I think, okay. But why is it right? Is it right because I read it in a book? I saw it in a movie. I've seen it modeled. Or is it right because Scripture has mandated that to be so? I'm not saying that if it's in a book, it's bad. I'm not saying if you learn it from your parents, it's bad. I'm just saying we can't make a doctrine. We can't enforce it on others. Second question, do these strongly held views contribute to or take away from the joy in my marriage? It's amazing to me how just a couple we're busy counseling at the moment, Kirsten and Goodman are two of our interns here. They, I think, sometimes can hear the conversations that we have four rooms away while they're watching the DVD because the emotions really worked up in the counseling room sometimes. And then I ask these people, you are so committed to this thing about marriage that your parents did or your grandparents or you read something in a book, a book, not Bible, another book. You are so committed to it, but do you realize that you're so committed to this and it's taking away from your joy in your marriage? Your marriage would just be so much easier if you'd be willing to let that thing go. Your marriage, both of you would be so much happier if you would be willing to lift, lose this romantic 15-year-old ideal that you've got in the back of your head that this is what marriage must be and our marriage isn't that and you're so committed to that. Do you realize you're going to have so much more joy in your marriage if you'd be willing to lay that down? Do these strongly held views contribute to or take away from the joy in my marriage? And then lastly, what eternal legacy would I like my marriage to leave? My marriage is temporal but my marriage gets to leave an eternal legacy. I think my time is up. I want to read one more quote for us, and then I'm going to pray. And then if 
you need someone to pray with you this morning, you're welcome and I'd love to pray with you. But I do want to challenge you, especially if you're married, if you need someone to speak to, if you or your wife, it doesn't have to be a major thing. If there's something that you realize, the two of us, we're not going to solve this by ourselves. Make a commitment in your heart today and say, God, we're going to speak to somebody this week about it. We're going to invite someone in. We're going to get somebody else to come and help us fix the slow puncture. Once again, from Francis Chan, writing in You and Me Forever. Even now, I am working to make sure that my family is set up for the future. That's my family, that's my wife and my kids, whatever your family may be. When most people make that statement, they're talking about financial security for their last few years on earth. When I say it, I'm referring to the millions of years that come after that. People accuse me of going overboard in preparing for my first 10 million years in eternity. In my opinion, people go overboard in worrying about their last 10 years on earth. As we look about our families, our marriages, our spouses, our children, are we tackling it and saying, God, this is a temporal thing that can work holiness in my heart, which is going to carry me and my family for eternity? Or am I looking for some temporal happiness, running after that which is an experience in a moment for this earth? And missing the incredible power that a marriage partner in your life, apart from the happiness in this earth, can give you, that can carry you into eternity. Because you're not going to take your happiness from your marriage into eternity. But you will take your holiness from your marriage into eternity. So Father, I want to thank you this morning that we can talk about this gift that you've given us, Lord. Thank you that you said it is not good for us to be alone. And then you made Eve and you brought Adam and Eve together and then you said, and it is very good. We want to thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for the many here who are married. And I want to pray favor and blessing and grace and truth and hope and peace over every marriage here, Lord God. I pray that they would prosper. I pray that you would breathe over their communications, Lord, that you would speak to both of their hearts and expectations and create in their minds the picture of what you intended their marriage to be. Lord, I pray over this church and this community, Lord, that if there's Lord, any chain, any shackle, any bondage, Lord, that even subconsciously has been brought into marriages or just the institution and the thinking of marriage, just some rules, Lord, that we have appropriated but are not scripturally mandated. God, I pray that you would release every marriage from those in Jesus' name. I pray internally in marriages, Lord, where there's expectations that are not based on your word, that you would extend grace to help them meet that, Lord. For expectations to meet one another, for pure pictures and for clarifying, Lord, how you want that marriage to look, Lord Jesus. That husband and wife would hear one another, that they would begin to see the same picture and work towards it, Lord God. And Lord, I pray for every single marriage here, Lord, whether married already or still to be married, I pray that they would embrace holiness, Lord. That they would grow in holiness because of their marriage, Lord. That there would be an eternal legacy that they can walk with and carry with them from this incredibly beautiful gift of marriage that you give us here on this earth. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you received produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jarberg.